I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. Greed, deception, abuse of power, that's no plan. They, they just gatekeep knowledge, you know? They're, they're to total masters of deception. They manipulate everything. You know, these, these pricks at the hell that lie to us. It's... I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false, and I need to go back to work for the American people. They're, they're setting it up for the Great Deception. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it all revolves around the Great Deception. Yeah, right? it, bingo. And L.A. and I talked about that. I said, L.A., is this the Great Deception? And he didn't hesitate. He said, absolutely. I never used to question before, and now I question everything. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. The world needs a wake-up call. We're going to vote it in. And welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. Thanks for joining me. Tonight, guys, we got an interesting one. Uh, I've been reading into this book, The Dragon Legacy, that was given to me by a, a friend on Instagram. Um, so shout out to Soul Seraphim. Thank you for uh, sharing this with me. And listen, I'm I'm about a third of the way into it. And it's just, it's very interesting to say the least. Now, do I agree with all of it? No, it's much like everything. It, you have to use discernment. And I, I don't know, there's been people out there that are, you know, on the whole kick that even if 10% of it is false, it's going to lead you down a dark path. I think it's bullshit. I think if you have strong enough discernment, you can take the good stuff out and ignore the nonsense. Now, with that said, does that mean I agree with everything in here? Absolutely not. I, I found a lot of holes in it from the author's point of view uh, and what he's what he's pushing. But when you start reading through it, there's also a lot of interesting information in there. Am I claiming it to be fact? No. But what I want to do is share it with you all so you can then think about it, question things, rationalize it, and see where it takes you. So before we get into that, I want to give a shout out to the two newest patrons, Colt Dupree and Fenris Wolf. Guys, I thank you so much for joining the Patreon. That means a lot to me. And I hope to speak with you all on the uh, monthly Zoom call that we do. And uh, anybody that's interested, you can go to patreon.com slash the great deception podcast and check it out. We get you get every Monday Night Master Debaters video episode, which is really cool because we share a lot of visuals on Master Debaters that the people that listen in audio just don't get. 
In addition, I got about almost 50 books up there now of, you know, a lot of old stuff. And this one is up there also for my patrons. Um, and it's called, and, and so Colt Fenris, thank you guys, man. I, I really appreciate it. And then on the other side, I want to thank the people that leave reviews, especially on Apple um, and and the likes on Spotify. If you can do that, guys, it helps tremendously. It gets the show up on the ladder, and that way we can get it to more ears. So I got one this week from Might Be Wrong 33. Oh, watch out, 33. You know, you guys are so fucking stupid. <laughs> I just got to laugh at all these people that like everything's the devil. And yet they have, still have yet to prove that the devil even exists. So have fun with that. Live in that state of paranoia. I don't care. I'm not going there. I'm I'm beyond that whole shit. I'm, I'm moving forward. I'm going to enjoy the here and now. So might be wrong. 33 says he gives me a five star, I, which I appreciate. Awesome show. Extremely interesting and informative. That Guys, it's that simple, right? That didn't take him but more than probably 15 seconds to write that. But it means the world to me. I greatly appreciate that. So anybody that, that's listening that hasn't left a review yet, feel free. I don't care good or bad. I'll take it. I got thick skin. Go look at my Instagram and all the people that call me retarded and stupid and all this stuff. Like, come on, guys. Is this middle school and high school? We're, we're And I put a post up the other day because... I don't put everything up there saying that I believe that it's true. It's to invoke thought, invoke conversation. And there are so many people out there with cognitive dissonance that cannot get outside their bubble. And those aren't the people I want to associate with. I want to associate with the people like you who think, who question things, who, although they might not agree, they're not going to go in and comment, this is dumb. Because there's nothing dumber than going out there and commenting, this is dumb. You're not doing anything for the discussion. Move along. All right? And no one's going to even acknowledge it. And from now on, anybody that's going to post stupid shit like that, you're just going to get blocked and can't see any of the stuff that I post, which is unfortunate because I really do think people enjoy it. But if you're going to be a moron, you're going to get treated like one. I'm done. I'm done with the morons. And and to all the great listeners, people that follow my Instagram page, I, I respect and appreciate you. I love the interaction. And the ones that know me best know that I want to promote ideas. I want to promote thinking, conversation. Andrew for America from the uh, Punk, Rocks and, Punk Rock and Politics podcast, Politics and Punk Rock, sorry. I always get that messed up. Put a post up the other day about make conversation great again, right? Like that's the whole point of this. We want to get people talking. Com whether you agree with the idea or not, it's that's the part. Like just because I don't agree with someone doesn't mean I can't like them. And too many people now have drawn a line in the sand and, and have to be on one team or the other. It's either you're with me or you're against me. And that's bullshit. That's middle school stuff high school stuff. And it's just, I'm going back to the word. It's the word of the day, moronic. And that, cause that's what it is. This whole team idea is exactly what they want. Divide and conquer. 
You don't have to agree with everything someone says. And it's good every now and then to check people. I like it when people check me and and say, hey, man, this might not be your best idea. Good, because now I'm going to think about it and, and say, okay, well, but give a reason why. Just don't say this is dumb. Because as I said before, that is the dumbest comment out there. Or this is bullshit. Move along. You're not moving the discussion forward any. Okay? And just to be clear. And if you get blocked, sorry, you acted like a moron. So back to today's show, which, again, I find this just so interesting. And this this whole thing started with uh, a post I did about blue eyes. And again, I didn't believe it. I just wanted to see what others thought. I was interested in other opinions. Maybe they could push me into a direction that would uh, give me some more resources to go look at. And what came up was this idea of the dragon blood and serpent blood. Now, not not literally. And again, you have to understand they've corrupted a lot of these symbols. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, how they flipped some things into making you think it's nonsense, when in reality, there may be some credibility to it. And I say maybe, because I don't know. I wasn't around back then. We have to go on what's written for the most part. And we know that the church corrupted a great majority of the writings, right? Most people, a lot of the population was illiterate just a couple hundred years ago. So who was doing, translating all these books, creating the languages? It was the church. It was the monks. It was the the well-to-do people, right? Because the common folk, most of them were illiterate. And that's how the Catholic Church got all their power, or all you know, religion got their power, because they were able to tell you, and they were the liaison between you and God, which is the biggest bullshit I've ever heard in my life. Because we are creation. We are more than just flesh vessels that are roaming this wild planet right now. So when we start talking about the tonight's episode, and again, let me get back. To, it's called The Dragon Legacy. All right. It's by Nicholas Devere, and it's The Secret History of an Ancient Bloodline. It's a collection of essays on the Derestai, I don't know even how to pronounce that, culture and accompanying extracts from the Dragon Court archives compromi- uh, comprising the official history of the dragon peoples. Okay, and this guy, H.H. Prince Nicholas de Vere, is a sovereign grandmaster, the imperial and royal dragon court, and the order of the dragon sovereignty. Now, the introduction also is done by Tracy Twyman, who is another author that I, I respect her work. Uh, she's done some great work out there, and I highly recommend you go check her out. So with this book... What we're looking at is these, what, what basically he said is back prior to the institutions of the church and, and the descendants of this realm, the rulers of the original rulers of this realm were of the dragon blood. Okay. They were the elven people, fairies, dragon, 
Now, when I say that, you're like, oh, this is going to be retarded. I can tell. No, what's retarded is the fact of how they love to flip things upside down. And we're going to look at a couple definitions here. Okay. So the first being fairy, an imaginary being in human form depicted as clever, mischievous, and possessing magical powers. It's used as a disparaging term for a gay man. Okay. And again, look how it's all over the place. And then number three, enchantment or magic, which magic again is another word that depending on who you get it from, it can be good. It can be bad. The fourth definition, an uh, imaginary being or spirit generally represented as a diminutive and graceful human form, but capable of assuming any other and as playing pranks, frolicsome, kindly, mischievous, or spiteful on human beings or among themselves, a fae. So now remember that. Now we're going to look at a dragon. And again, it's a mythical monster traditionally represented as a gigantic reptile, having a long tail, sharp claws, scaly skin, and often wings. Any of various lizards, such as the Komodo dragon or the flying lizard. A fiercely vigilant or intractable person. Something very formidable or dangerous. A large snake or serpent. A fabulous animal common to the conceptions of many primitive races and times, or, as in the Bible, an indefinite creature of great size or fierceness. Now, again, they always have to invoke the mythical, right? How it's, oh, this is just, it's just a myth, just a fairy tale. Now, let's look at a vampire. In popular folklore, an undead being in human form that survives by sucking the blood of living people, especially at night. A person, such as an extortionist, who takes on advantage of others, especially for personal gain. A vampire bat. A kind spectral being or ghost still possessing a human body, which, according to superstition, exists among the Slavic and other races of the Lower Danube leaves the grave during the night and maintains a semblance of life by sucking warm blood of living men and women while they sleep. Hence, a person who preys on others, an extortioner, a bloodsucker. That sounds like the church to me, if you, if you ask me. And again, it's a projection. Why do, they, why do they manipulate language? Why do they project on others what they're doing themselves? Extortioners and bloodsuckers are the church, period. They've done it for thousands of years. Couple thousand. Now let's look at the last one, an elf or the elven. A small, often mischievous creature considered to have magical powers. A lively, mischievous child. A usually sprightly or mischievous or sometimes spiteful person. An imaginary being superstitiously supposed to inhabit unfrequented places and in various ways to affect mankind, a sprite, a fairy, a goblin, a mischievous or wicked person, a knave, a rogue. Think about that, a rogue, someone who goes against the ways of the normal, a diminutive person, a dwarf, hence, 
a pet name for a child, especially one who is very sprightly and graceful. An imaginary supernatural being, commonly a little sprite, much like a fairy. A mythological diminutive spirit supposed to haunt the hills and wild places and generally represented as delighting in mischievous tricks. Okay, so what is the purpose of today's show? Well, today's show specifically, and and listen, this book, this is probably about the third chapter of the book that I'm in and that that we're going to go over tonight. So the other stuff we will, I'm probably going to circle back to it because I, I might do a mul- I'm definitely doing multiple parts on this book because it, it all starts to make sense. And what this does is this talks about who are the original rulers, overlords, so to speak of this realm, who were the people that were connected and who are the people who have perverted it to take advantage, to turn it into a monetary system where they can enslave you based on money, goods, consumerism, and take us away from the natural law, the natural way of life, that we're the way we're supposed to live. Because guys, this isn't natural. The day by day, we are drifting further and further away from the natural way of living. And go back to my natural versus synthetic episode I did a couple months ago. Because I start seeing it more and more. And there's great people out there. Like you've, if you listen to Monday Night Masturbators, the last two, Ryan Alexander's been on. This guy is great for this kind of stuff when it comes to natural ways how they've manipulated us and basically poison us and take advantage of us, use us. Another guy is, uh, if you're not following, Cultivate Elevate on Instagram. He's putting out, not only does he tell you what's going on, but he's providing solutions. And that's what this is all about. But what I found extremely interesting because I've looked into, you know, the Tartars, Tartaria, you know, the that whole concept. Well, they're tied in with the Scythians. And again, could this be an inversion? Because the perspective that Nicholas gives here is a lot different than what we've been told and what I've read anywhere else and why I find it so fascinating. So let's get into it. Now, now before actually before we do, what he he's saying is, and we'll get into it right here, the the concept of the fairy, the dragon. The, he he talks about the dragon bloodline, right? And that's the bloodline of the Merovingians, who tended to be the original overlords of this. They were the ones who were connected. They were the ones who lived purely until that power was handed over to the Carolingians and the Roman Catholic Church took over. And all of the leaders, whether they be monarchs, presidents, all of them, since that time are illegitimate rulers. And what I love that he says is anybody that's killed in their honor, anybody has, has committed murder. 
because these are not the rulers of the original bloodlines. Now, bloodlines is a fascinating topic that I honestly, I don't know a lot about. And that's why I'm so intrigued about it. And that's why this whole dragon blood book is so fascinating and so intriguing. I have so many more questions. And like I said, I'm about a third of the way through this book. And I think it's just, it's amazing. I haven't thought this much. I mean, page by page, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, and I'm like, wow. I'm like, I have to use my discernment. Okay. What is real? What is not? Now, do you want to know what I don't ag agree with and where I, I feel like Devere is kind of leading us astray a little bit is his emphasis on Kabbalah, his emphasis on Judaism, his emphasis on specific things like that, that I don't necessarily be agree are the be all end all. And he, he kind of puts this little twist on it that... Uh, now, am I going to throw everything out because I don't agree with a couple lines or a couple paragraphs or a couple pages in the book? No, because like I said, it's made me think so much that I'm intrigued even more. And I hope you are too. So let's get into it. So the Scythians, he says, throughout the discourse, it must be borne in mind that when we speak of the Scythians as fairies, dragons, vampires or elves, we are not talking about either the client races of the Scythians or the ordinary Scythian citizenry, but the royal Scythians, the higher-ups, the ones who have this dragon blood, that are, are of this bloodline. Okay, And when we're talking about vampires, he, he, he talks about how they flipped that and made it about Dracula, right? This bloodsucker, that that comes out at night and turns into a bat and all this happy horse shit Disney stuff. Same thing with elves. Makes you think these, these little tiny people, the elven people he talks of that were very powerful. I don't know. Is it real? I don't know. But what, what I can see though is how they have inverted this stuff and turned it into fairy tales and myths. And again, the dragons, he's not talking about this giant flying reptile. He's talking about a bloodline. And he even describes how the dragon is symbolic of these people. And, and things that have been done to manipulate it. And the same with fairies, the fae people, the fae folk. And one of the things that I'm going to get into too, eventually is the elven holocaust a thousand year war against them remember saint patrick why did he go to ireland why was he sent to ireland and or you know the british isle to take out the snakes hmm snakes reptiles there were no snakes in ireland it was a slaughter. It was a hunt for a certain bloodline that they had to take out. The Druidic, if you're going to, you know, so to speak, to, to put it in more of a context that people would understand. So this is how we have to think. Now, I, I bet you there's a couple people that shut it off already and like, wow, this is dumb. That's fine. Those of you that suck around, you're going to be in for an interesting show. So here we go. As we have discovered that the vampire... 
as a witch belonged to a genetic inheritance, to a distinct royal caste in Scythian Celtic society, that the uh, of the priest king and priestess queen, the prince and princess druids. They had evolved from early on in human social history and belonged to a Eurasian-wide hereditary priestly community, which had originated with the Scythian Aryans. And again, the Aryans are not this blonde-haired, blue-eyed, racist people that we hear of today. That's, again, been inverted. He, he talks about, and I will hopefully get into it in another episode, how the Aryans were red-haired, with green eyes. But they were a, I hate to say master race because that sounds very racist, but they were an enlightened people. The name Scythian was originally spelled S-I-T-H-I-A-N in the 16th century England. And it is from this tribal name that we attain the word scythe, denoting a curved uh, bladed agricultural tool so named because of its similarity in shape to the Scythian sword. Scythians were not, however, named after their use of a curved sword. The name Scythian related to a group of words that appeared in Indo-European languages, which are found as far apart as Ireland and Northern India, indicating that they had a common Aryan origin in Scythia. These included Scythia, Sidhe, Sidhir, Sidi, In Cyrmic, DD is often pronounced with a TH sound, while in Irish and Scots, the TH is spelt dialectically DH, while the S beginning in a word is pronounced SH. As we have related, SIDDIR in Danish society were witches who practiced the art of knot tying and loosening. These Sidir were directly related to the mythic Norns, the Miori, and or fates who were said to be responsible for the fate of mankind by the patterns that they wove and in the way they all tied and loosened the knots of the web of word. The Sidirs, as well as being seers, could control such power as to influence the outcome of human affairs. In this respect, their name reflects their abilities, which in India, they were called siddhis, a word used to describe the powers of the yogi who had self-realized. The curious Irish word, S-I-D-H-E, pronounced she, sheath, or sheathe, attributed to the fairies and meaning powers, is therefore identical to sheathir in India and Shithi, and is derived, therefore, from the people of the powers. The Sidians, or Shithians. In Scotland, the royal fairies were called the Seely, or Sheely, and their princesses were related to the sculpted Shilag na Gigs over church doorways who do not depict ancient goddesses of fertility, but were the royal grail maidens of the elven kings and queens. 
The Shila Nagigs were goddesses of sovereignty and transcendence. Their place over doorways of churches, many of which were built on the sites of ancient sacred groves, indicated that in entering these buildings, one was entering through the vulva of the maiden into the other world, the realm of Elfmi and the kingdom of heaven. They were permitted above church doorways because clearly, uh, because the early church itself wanted to be identified with the old ways. Firstly, this was because it was in fact, at least in the beginning, part of the old ways and later, when Catholicism took over, the Shilags remained in place in order to attract and convert pagans, quote unquote. Along with the Irish Shithi, the Seely and the Seely Court of Scotland had a distinctly royal origin in the Tuatha Da Anu, who, when asked, like their Pictish descendants in Scotland, said of themselves that they were Shithian, as Canon Bork himself has insisted. Some people tend to think that the word Shithi means a hill, and therefore the Irish Danon, as the Shithi, inherited this name as a consequence of fleeing into the hills after de their defeat by the Milesians. As we can see, this is not so, and the fairy quote-unquote hills were the Idans, or Danon, the gods of the Irish, were said to live, were not all Shithi hills. Before their Iberian kinsmen, the Milesians came looking for a fight. The Shithi, the fairies, who were the quote-unquote controllers of the fate of mankind and so named in remembrance of and in identification with their ancient Anunnaki ancestors. In pre-Christian history, although some practiced agriculture for a while, according to Murray Hall, they abandoned it for their traditional way of life and many of the Shethian clans remained solitary and insular nomadic uh, pastoralists. Horse lords who ranged across large tracts of Europe and Asia for centuries. Others opted for more settled existence and mixed settled agriculture and pastoralism, a system that can be found in both Taklamakan, where they built fine cities, and in Ireland, where they became known as the trooping fairies. Now, again, we go back to the whole tar, and he references Tartaria in here and the Tartarian people, and there's Sheathians in his eyes. They're all part of the same group. Now, some are enlightened, some are of the higher bloodline, and some are regular folk. But the royalty were the people who were responsible for the realm and the fate of mankind. Now, what I found interesting about the last part about the doorways, right? And and we I, I posted something before about you know all these gargoyles and things that are above the doorways and ornate um, statues that are on these old buildings. And what is their purpose? And, and some of it, I think, was a lot to identify that building. And I think some of it may have been added after the fact to, in concrete to mislead, to confuse. But the, the Roman Catholic Church would never do that, right? Come on, guys. 
So in general, they were usually, t- oh, the other thing I wanted to talk about before I get there. What did he say in the previous thing? They built upon other sacred sites. It's the site. It's the land that holds the power. Remember the ley line episode. What did we see? These churches were rebuilt over Gnostic areas throughout Europe. Because what were they trying? They were trying to harness that energy from that land. The history of it. Take control of the realm. And in order to do that, they had they felt like they had to control everything and destroy anyone that got in their way. Anyone that could tell the truth. Because if you look at the history of the Catholic Church, it's a whole lot of bullshit, manipulation, deception, murder, death, lies. Let's get back to it. In general, they were usually tall, pale-skinned, with golden hair and green eyes, unlike the Celts, who were stocky and squat, with ruddy complexions and dark hair. They practiced settled agriculture from a very early period. The recent and rather unfortunate propagandist depiction of the Aryan or the Scythian as a tall, ruddy-complexioned, blonde, racist, yeoman, farmer, warrior god has no basis in truth. In pre-Christian history, an Aryan was a high king. A warrior was a warrior, and a farmer was a farmer. And he he says, quote-unquote, ne'er the three ever met. The real Aryans, in fact, were red-haired and green-eyed. Their hired military help derived from their lower uh, Sastria caste and were not Aryan and sometimes blonde and blue-eyed. The Aryan royal families didn't intermarry with other tribes or castes, but despite this, with the development of many of their clans of uh, settled city-states, they became urban, multiracial, and appreciated cultural diversity. The Aryan Hittites in particular were close allies of the Jews whose draconian royal family, the House of David, made the Israelites, in a cultural sense, an early Aryan nation. The Scythians and Aryan Scythian Gaels had numerous settlements either in or adjacent to Israel and Judea. The comparatively early use of the horse and of horse-related technology separated the Aryans from the other tribes that occupied the Middle East and Eurasia. In Mitanni, Mesopotamia, Akkad, and Anatolia, the Hurrians, whom in the 1920s uh, B. Rosny described as the earliest Hindus, were the absolute overlords, and their supremacy is credited to their early use, like the Kurgans, of horse-drawn chariots. The her syllable in Hurian has been asserted by scholars, including G. Uh, Contenu in La Civilisation des Hittites et des Heretes de Mitanni, to be har or ar, meaning that the Hurrians, like the Scythians, were Aryans with an Aryan Vedic royal sacral family of gods. They bestowed upon the Hittites, whose culture they dominated, 
like the Hurrian and Aryan Mitanni did in Mesopotamia. The Hittites, in turn, provided the Greeks with these red-gold-haired gods, including Zeus and Dias Pater, the Jewish Jehovah, whose ancient symbol shared with the sacred dynasty as a whole was, ironically, the swastika. Again, we know how that symbol has been completely inverted and completely vilified in today's day and age. Go look at all of the ancient religions that use that symbol. Because what does it represent? It's a zodiac symbol. Go go look into the history of it. It's not this white power, hateful symbol. Although they'd like you to believe that. The early Scythians, the people of the powers, occupied a region spanning the Baltics, uh, Balkans, Transylvania, Carpathia, the Ukraine, and later Siberia and Taklamakan, where the Tokarians, as the elves were mistakenly called by early linguists, spoke a ritual language. Hmm, Siberia, all the way from Siberia to the Middle East. What, ma- what country, so to speak, what land area is depicted as that? That was Tartaria on a lot of maps, huh? Interesting. This is now called Tokarian, quote-unquote, A, but originated in Thrace in 1800 BC. Thus, it had connections with the Fir Bog and consistently with the Tuara do Anu as a whole, who began migrating from Central Europe to Ireland at that period. Over the centuries, from 5000 BC onwards, the Scythians, Scythians, had also migrated into the Middle East and provided ruling families for so many tribes and nations along and beyond the eastern Mediterranean coast. In the annals of Irish history, the Scythian Tuatha who had migrated farther still to the islands of the north, were described as a tribe of deific queens, kings, princes, and lords, who were, and were noted for having druids of their own. In Japan's northern islands, their lives, a shamanic tribe called the Ainu, whose early writing style has been identified as being Gaelic Ogam. The Aryan Scythian horse lords were a noble tribe, a sept of the Aryan peoples who, during various migrations, had wandered east several centuries before the Da'anu displacement. On their uh, reputed first journey to Ire, Ireland, in 1500 BC, they were described by their contemporaries as being highly feminine and flamboyant. They traveled southeast via Persia, a.k.a. Iran, from 1800 BC onwards, and had entered the Indus Valley and intermingled with the Dravidian population. This migration was... Uh, to lands already formerly under Sumerian and consequently Ubaid control. The westward migration of the Scythians and Sidians also included these very same Dravidians who, so the pr- British tradition state, were the messengers and summoners or the quote-unquote fetches of the Merlins. And now Merlins is not this one guy 
The Merlins was another. I mix in with the, the fairies and the dragons. It's a it's a ruling class. These curious and delightful beings were known, also known as brownies for obvious reason and adopted the habit of body tattooing in emulation of their Scythian lords, who in Britain and Ireland were known as the Pixies, which is a name derived from the picked Sidhes, or painted fairies. You see the word magic here? You see how important etymology is and things like that? And how they've manipulated and changed languages over and over to try and confuse, distort, take advantage of. The confusion which arises when the picks are described as being short and brown may be clarified when we remember that the Shethian caste system consisted of three closely interknit cooperating races. Their traditions and practices would inevitably become, to a certain extent, common to all within the system by a natural process of social osmosis. From this encounter arose the eastern branch of the Aryan Vedic, quote-unquote, Hindu religion, with its druids or magi, the Brahmins, and a pantheon of gods who were virtually, virtually identical with the Sumerian, Egyptian, Hittite, Irish, Gaulish, Danish, and Greek. All of them stem from this early family of elven goddesses, queens, and god kings, whose first home was to be found in the Balkans, Transylvania, Carpathia, and the Caucasus regions of Greater and Little Scythia, or Scythia, right, as some would pronounce it. Within the Brahmin caste, special tantric rites were and still are studied and practiced. Evidence suggests that these ancient rites were brought to India from Sumeria. This accords with the assertion that Kabbalah itself originated there, and the author has long maintained that Tantra, particularly the uh, Kuala Vama Marg and esoteric Kabbalism, are simply variations of each other. The tree of life symbol and its hidden meanings appear in Druidism. Given the evidence to date, we can confidently say that Tantra and Kabbalah are descended from ancient Ubayid Druic philosophy. The right-hand path version of Hindu and Buddhist Tantra concerns itself with studying and practicing sexual rites that one might find associated with the Kama Sutra. This form of Tantra promotes penetrative intercourse as a method of changing consciousness and has attached to it various uh, commentaries on right living and right thinking. This was thought by some Indian scholars to have originated with those who were depicted by one subcontinental academic uh, as the oversexed Dravidians. The left-hand path, however, is somewhat different. This discipline can be found in both Hinduism and Buddhism and concerns itself with the practice of vampirism. This alone is sufficient evidence to allow one to ascertain that the black or left hand or koala path preceded the later right hand path, which, though joyously tactile and self-indulgent to begin with, appears many, many centuries later to have been somewhat sanitized for public consumption. The yogic disciplines associated with the koala path 
originated with the Sheathians and are intended to lead the practitioner to what one might call union with Godhead. The psychological condition is manifest in mystical Christianity as being the perception by the devotee of the quote-unquote kingdom of heaven. That few Christians ever achieve such a state is not to be wondered at, as Christianity is also a royal blood tradition, exactly like its brother and sister, Druidism and witchcraft. Many Christians are ignorant uh, of this aspect of Jesus's teachings and are in ca- not in any, are in any case not encouraged to explore its possibilities because such union leads to physical and psychological freedom. This is the very last thing that the established churches wish to encourage in the masses, even though Jesus himself preached it. Union with Godhead, dwelling in alchemy, realization of Buddha, or whatever one likes to call it, is accompanied by a range of powers which were cataloged by the amazing Edwardian lady, Alexandra David Neal. Kali, like the Ubayid deities, was a flesh and blood being. She, Kalimath, or Kalimarj, was a daughter of Lilith and Samuel, son of Anu, who appears in the Aryan pantheon as Ahura Mazda, and in the Iran as the Median god Zoroaster. Anu himself was the god who gave his name to the Tuat Danan, and as Sitchin has suggested, the definition of the word god itself is descended of Anu. And again, referencing Zachariah Sitchin, which he's suspect as well. So use your discernment. Based on the spelling of the Tuatha de Danann, some have suggested that these Irish elven folk derive their name from the Irish mother goddess named Dana. If they had checked the earlier spelling of Tuatha de Anu, the tribe of Anu, they would have discovered that the Shithian Shithi were the sons and daughters of Anu and the Ubayid gods and goddesses. To recap, we have a clear connection between the word Shidi and Shithi, both of which originate from the Shithian or Proto-Aryan Ubayid root. The Scythians, Shithians, as the Aryans of Persia and Asia, provided the people then with their religious and social structures and spread their wisdom and overlordship mostly by invitation from prospective client tribes throughout Britain and Europe. The Scythian Aryans, Scythian Aryans, as the Danon, settled in Ireland and Scotland, whilst the Wales, in Wales, they were known as the House of Don, or Dan, or the House of Gwened. This house sired the line of Llewellyn princes, whilst in Scandinavia, the Danon, became the Danes or the Vikings and produced a junior cousin line of the Svi or Swedes from the descended Ruotsi clan that founded Russia. In Denmark, the Shithi were, uh, was present as the Shidir or Sidir, a class of seer or witch which was later separated from the Gothi or Gothi, the Danish Druids.
the Shishian Danin in Ireland, as in the rest of Europe, were a race apart, a ruling caste within which, like the original race of the gods from whom they descended, they were further caste classifications. In Denmark, these were later named Jarl, Karl, Thrall castes, which, uh, whilst in Ire, they were broadly speaking of Druids, the kings and the warrior smiths. In India, they're still defined as the Brahmins or Satriyas, the Sudras. The original castes of the gods were A, the common gods, the gods of the earth, B, the gods of heaven and earth, and C, the gods of heaven. So he's setting up three classes of gods, right? There were the god, the common gods, which were the gods of earth. Then you had the gods that were in between earth and heaven. And then you had the gods of heaven themselves. Now stay, stay with me here. The first class was what we call jobbing gods, who became the genie locusts or the pagan spirits. The second class, the gods of heaven and earth, was the titans, the Rephaim, the Morrigans, the angels, and Valkyries, who interceded between the transcended gods, the divine ancestors, the gods of heaven and man. Now, heaven was the other world, not a place up in the stars, but a state of being which was adjacent to our own dimension. It was most competently described more than once in the Mabino Gion as the mirror world. It could be entered and left freely by the gods of heaven and earth, the portal guardians. In this place, also known as Elfame, Hades, Hell, Ser Class, and Tir Nanag, there dwelt the essences of the previous gods of heaven and earth who had passed on to become the transcendent ones, the antecessors or ancestors of the later witches. By dwelling in tombs, the gods of heaven and earth, the den and queens and kings, made contact with their ancestor gods and passed their wisdom and edicts on to mankind. Today we might call this process process invocation. These gods are carried in the blood and by invocation. We bring their qualities and identities to the forefront of consciousness, being, and give them voice. These druidic gods and goddesses of heaven and earth were effectively the highest overlords on earth, the elven rulers of the human kings and queens who ruled beneath them. Often we find mention of fairy, uh, the fairy blood in the medieval era in connection with the ruling nobility at the time. We might then be tempted to come to the logical conclusion that all nobility and royalty was thus of fairy origin. This is simply not the case. Despite the usurpation, or, uh, usurpation of the original fairy families by the church-sponsored new nobility, the previous kingly and noble dynasties were essentially human anyway. The fairy blood at that time, the Dark Ages and the medieval period, was carried by the descendants of the Archdruidic dynasties who formerly ruled over the contemporary Celtic and Eurasian kings and lords. It was not carried by any 
or all of the royal or noble families of the time simply by virtue of the fact that they were in he- uh, the heads of their castes. The castes of the elven god kings themselves were positioned directly over such class distinctions. The gods of heaven and earth, the archdruidic caste, dwell in barrows and bergs, which in ire are called wraths. The word wrath means a royal seat. These wraths were the holy shrines and sepulchres built by the Danon, the original gods of Ireland according to the Annals of Irish History, to uh, to house the mortal remains of their ancestors and act as royal palaces for the portal guardians. In specific cases, these gods are named, and we learn, for the instance, the New Grange was the shrine occupied by Nuanha, and later Angus. The devotional and holy nature of these places had led some scholars and commentators to believe that because they were tombs and temples, those said to occupy them must purely be spiritual entities, gods of an ethereal nature. Originally, nothing could have been further from the truth. Both Nuanha and Angus were kings of the Danon, and contemporary descriptions of them and their kin leave us with the picture of the Danon as a race of people with prodigious and very earthly appetites. From their kinsmen in Siberia, we know that by our dubious standards, they were complete junkies and imbibed in any form of drug they could get a hold of. These would have included cannabis and cocaine prevalent in Egypt and the Levant at that time, as well as the drugs classically associated with the Druids and the Elves, such as Amanita muscaria and psilocybin, the fairy mushrooms of children's picture books everywhere. The Danon were hardened drinkers and unscrupulous womanizers, whilst accounts of their princesses relate that they often made it in public with the highest nobles of their clan to prove or reiterate their social standing to onlookers. And he references Herodotus, the histories. Counterbalancing this view of them, born of our own hypocritical conditioning, the Danon, whether in Ire or the mainland of Europe or Asia, were the finest smiths, jewelers, poets, and musicians of their time. They were the lord of fearless warriors and gifted horsemen, and despite what uh, what we might think of their foregoing, they were a righteous, meticulous people who maintained standards of conduct in areas of their social life where such standards were considered essential for the harmonious order of society. Great emphasis was laid upon honesty and truth in one's words and one's dealings. The maintenance conversation and, 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 and conservation of the natural environment was paramount, and infractions such as cutting of trees could mean death. Emphasis, emphasis was laid on hospitality and courtly behavior to one's peers or guests, the honoring of one's ancestors and heroes, and the maintenance of extended family ties through fostering. Now, what I found interesting about this, I was just watching Lord of the Rings the other night, and one of the things that you see is them destroying the trees, pulling down all of the trees that they can. And one of the things that caught me was one of the orcs says, Master, these these roots and these trees are so deep 
we're having a tough time getting him out. Right? That's very symbolic right there. He's not talking of the literal tree. He's talking about the roots of the people that they were trying to root out, get rid of. And it's not as easy as some might expect. Although unaffected by petty morality with which we view our sexual behavior, they would kill a man for breaking his word or lying. They were heroic people. Compared with us today, they were far more moral race whose uh, standards of conduct not invested or centered on a kind of childish taboos, but placed where it matters, put us and they put us to shame. They are race centered on the spirituality which itself was centered on gnosis and transcendent consciousness. This made them, like their latter royal Viking cousins, a fearless people, much loved and also much feared in turns by all who knew them, whether in Eurasia or the British islands. In about 500 BC, the Milesians entered Ireland from Iberia. Having defeated the Danan tribes, they put many of them to flight. It was during this period that the Danon also became known as the Duanin Shidhi, the people of the hills, an erroneous word, uh, use of the word Shithi. One group, the tribe of Danon king Ulster, uh, Brudin, mistakenly called Cruthine by the uh, Cruthine by the Romans, fled to Caledonia where they became known as the remnant of the Cruthnine or the Cruthane. Other Danon clans fled to Wales in the southwest uh, of mainland Britain. Several centuries later, when the Romans were uh, uh, unfortunate enough to encounter them in Scotland, they referred to these Danon as Picts, P-I-C-T-S. It is this word that has adapted itself to become one of the names we use to describe the elven peoples, the Pixies, or properly the Pict Sheathies, as we have already seen. These beings also came to be known as leprechauns, and their etymology of the word, uh, though thought to mean small-bodied, actually means scaly-bodied, from the Latin word lepra, as in leprosy, scaly skinned the scaliness referred to was derived from the fish scale style of armor which was common to the draconian dacians the zmei i don't know how to pronounce that the danes and the danon all of whom originated in the region now known as greater scythia or scythia the scaly twin pronged tail of the wuver or mermaid, was also derived from the use by grail maidens of a fish-scale-plated leggings. When worn with the swans or raven's feather cloaks, we have the classical image of the harpy reproduced in medieval depictions of Melusine. Picked or Pictish means painted, and the Danon earn this appellation by virtue of their use of tattoos or woad to decorate their bodies with the totemic or magical markings, their favorite being the labyrinth or spiral whirl. Now think about that. 
go back to all the, uh, you know, the FBI symbol for pedophilia. What is that? That's the spiral whirl, another perversion of an ancient symbol. So every time you see that swirl, it doesn't mean people were pedophiles. I mean, come on, guys, we have to be better than this. It's just like every time you see the swastika, it doesn't mean hate. It's been inverted. It's been perverted by these parasites that currently run this realm. The ancestors of the Irish Danon or Ubayid Danon had been using tattoos and wood since 4000 BC. Examples of it can be found in depictions of the Egyptian god Osiris or Asher, as he is also known, and in the depiction of Hindu gods Vishnu and Siva. Kali herself was known as Kali Azura, or the Blue Kali. The spiral or whirl, the labyrinth, is the subject of a later essay in which it is painted or carved symbol lie at the center of vampire and elven tradition. The spiral can be uh, found carved into the rock at the New Grange in Ireland and also featured as the sacred design associated with the dwellings of the related Cassite Danan clans who migrated to Britain. In the Gaelic language, we find two words specifically defining vampires. The first, it's Krecher, okay? It's C-R-E-A-C-H-A-I-R-E means a sepulcher or tomb, a shrine, and a temple, indicating that the character we later become familiar with as the vampire of Gothic legend was in fact a dweller uh, in the tombs, a druidic priest king or priestess queen, an uber or witch overlord. And again, how have they perverted the idea of the witch, right? This person, this this seer who talks to the dead and, you know, brings the dead back to life. And well, we'll get into that in a second. In Eurasia, particularly in the permafrost of Siberia, hmm. in the arid wastes of Taklamakan in China, the mummified bodies of the Scythian chieftains and Shamankas or priestess queens have been found. In Siberia, the frozen remains of a male were unearthed. He had been tattooed with animal designs reminiscent of the totem Pictish salmon, often found carved on stones in Scotland. In the same region, a shamanka had been unearthed who had been tattooed with the spiral labyrinth design. She, like her counterpart in Taklamakan, wore the conical headdress of the Anunnaki gods of Sumeria that is also associated with medieval witchcraft. This same headdress is depicted in bas relief on the walls of the palace of Darius as being worn by those of the Shethian Scythians who brought him gifts in 500 BC. The Taklamakan mummy, excavated by the Chinese in the 1960s, had red gold hair and was buried adjacent to a cache of tartan plaid cloth and spiral painted pottery, similar to that found at Al-Ubaid in Syria. In the same region, caves have been discovered where the walls are painted with devotional Buddhist pictures featuring the Tokarians, 
also, as they are also known, conversing with Buddha. Jeffrey Ash states that the Western Druids were interviewed by Buddha. He claimed that they, the Druids, had established Shangri-La in the West. This should give the reader some hint as to the general thrust of Druidic philosophy and the hidden nature of that promoted by Jesus, whom St. Columbus clearly stated was also a Druid and Magus himself. Okay? So that's that's what we got for today. That's where we're going to leave it off as that's the Scythians or Scythians. And you start to see that some of this story might have been perverted. Now, am I saying this is the absolute truth? No. But I find a lot of this very fascinating knowing what we know about the inversion that the Catholic Roman Catholic Church or the church in general has laid upon us for the greater part of a thousand to two thousand years. Okay, it's very interesting. And the whole concept of fairies, elven, dragons, witches, vampires, not being what we see in Disney movies and the propaganda of today, but of a higher class of of bloodline and why why would they pervert it well because they're not of that line although they claim to be the rulers if these folks were in fact the ruling bloodline the priest kings or the god kings the goddess queens they would have to do this they would have to vilify these people in order to legitimize their rulership. People couldn't know that these people were rulers in a before they took over. It's very interesting. I don't know how much of it I, I actually believe, but like I said, it has caused me to think more about this whole idea and this whole question. And I'd love uh, to talk. I sent this book over to Andy from the Deep Share because he's big into the box saga and some of this stuff sounds like it may have some correlations with some of the stuff in the box saga. And I'm interested to see where these paths cross and what he thinks of this book, because he's done a lot more research into the box saga than I have. I know little to nothing about the box saga other than what I've heard him talk about. And um, the guys over at rising from the ashes, uh, Dan Unaki, Dan and, uh, Roman. And so I'm I'm intrigued by this stuff because I do believe that the church is the illegitimate ruler of this realm. And what they've done is pushed us towards a synthetic world. The way we live is synthetic. They they've pushed us into this consumer debt-based system where they can have control. They have hoarded all of the assets. They have hoarded tremendous lands, kingdoms, rulership. And I don't think it's legitimate. I do call a lot of bullshit on some of these lines of quote unquote kings and queens. Because if you look, even even, uh, good old Queen Elizabeth, 
she changed her name to the Windsor family. They're not Windsors. It's it's all a perversion. They're from Germany. Her family's from Germany. How are they the the, the rightful rulers or the monarchs of Britain? England. It makes no sense when you start digging into it. And I think there is something into the bloodline idea and aspect. But I don't know enough about it to honestly speak thoroughly. And that's why I'm going to keep doing my research and keep digging into this stuff because I find it absolutely so interesting. And like I said, next episode, I'd like to dig into some more of the, see that, and part of this, why I'm so interested in this, this goes beyond where I've studied in history, right? I'm more in the 1800s, 1700s. I'm into that era in the last kind of quote unquote reset. And that's where I've spent the majority of my research and my focus and my attention up to this point. And again, the buildings. I go back to these buildings that don't seem to match when we were told they were built, a lot of them. And why were the same style of buildings all over the world? How did they get all of the resources to not only build, but to also control these areas? And, you know, the, 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 Perversion of natural law or the disconnection of us is something that I am all in on because they have done everything to disconnect us from the natural way of life. I mean, even down to our clothing today, guys, our clothing today blocks, interrupts frequencies. All that polyester shit, all that synthetic materials. They can disrupt the frequencies. Think about all the Wi-Fi out there. All of it. The way we get electricity. It's not natural. None of it. And how did these people all live? You you think they just lived by burning logs all the time in these grand palaces? Do you understand how much it would take to heat up some of these places? Yet it only had one fireplace. You know, to these grand rooms with tremendously high ceilings. You think one fireplace is going to heat that whole room? Come on. They didn't even have chimneys, a lot of them. A lot of these fireplaces did not have chimneys. So where's the smoke going? These are the questions we have to ask. Because we've been sold a bill of bullshit by much of the narrators. And again, who were the original narrators of the story we're told now? It's the church. Because they've changed language up, down, and sideways. And I'll leave you with this. Because like I said, we're I, I, I may, I think the next episode, we're going to go over the Elvin Holocaust and a couple other things that he puts in here. He talks about government and how you know, how it should be versus how it is. 
think about language and how important language is and, and how they perverted language and the word magic that they use, right? Everything today, it's broadcasting, forecasting our weather, uh, telecasting. It, it, it's all spells. It's all magic. It's all intention. So I've been thinking about this and, and I'm going to, I'm going to leave it out there for you. And anybody that wants to reach out to me with their two cents on it, I am all ears. Latin, right? It's known as the dead language. What if Latin is really the language of the dead? Think about it. Stay strong and question everything. Yeah, but we can forget about him. Yeah, it was just one hand. Ooh. One hand. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's just one hand. Yeah, boys, they're puny. Hmm, puny? Say, let's pretend this brain is a puny little ant. Did that hurt? <laughs> no. Well, how about this one? Are you kidding? <laughs> well, how about this? You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line.